Let's start a new series, shall we? One of the things we always try to do, as best we can, is when we start a new series in the new year or coming into a new year, we always try to pick something practical that can help you start the year right. Because who here wants to start the year right? Want to start the year right? So last year, we taught, we'd prayer. We'd, we went into the scriptures. What does the Bible really say about prayer? Because very few things affect everything else like prayer, Right? Prayer affects everything else. Let's start the year right. Let's dig into what the word says about prayer. Prayer is something that we know we should be doing probably differently than we're doing now. So let's press into that and let's take it on. Well, this year, we're going to take on another topic that affects pretty much everything else. And it's a topic that's so important that Jesus said more about this topic than he said about prayer. We're going to look at some of the things he said about this topic in just a few minutes. And there might be a little anxiety out there as you saw the bulletin cover because I know very few situations where people have handled this topic well. Usually this topic that we're going to talk about comes up at times where there's desperation. Like if we don't do this right, the whole thing's going to close down. Or with manipulation or words are twisted or whatever. As, as we talk about this today, we're going to spend this week just kind of framing this thing out. I hope you see that that is not our intent to do any of those things. In fact, if nothing else, this series is about trying to help us experience more peace and more joy. We're going to talk about something that affects almost everything else, and that something is what? It's money. It is money. Money is a source of stress for a lot of people. I came across this quote as I was doing my prep this week. This is from Joe Lewis, and I think this is the Joe Lewis. I could be wrong in this, but I think this is Boxer Joe Lewis. He said this. He said, I don't necessarily like money. But what does it do? It quiets my nerves. How many of you, with a show of hands, you feel less stress when there's more money coming in than is going out? How many feel a little less stress? Right, right? We normally feel less stress when that's the case. And that is getting harder and harder and harder. Every year, every year, it seems like there are more demands than dollars, including some of these things that are now the basics. It's hard to remember a time when a computer... And a personal phone wasn't just a basic. And so now we have these things that weren't even things before. And not only are they expensive, but they have to be renewed. They go, they go out so quickly. Food is more expensive than it used to be. Sports and activities cost a lot more. There are more entertainment options than there used to be. Cars, I was having this conversation with someone at a, a wedding this weekend. Cars now cost what some people paid for their first home. Cars cost what it costs for the home. And get this, a year of college costs as much as that car. One year of college. Health insurance is a budget breaker. The recommendations for retirement savings. It used to be, hang on to your job's pension, hang on to Social Security, you'll be fine. Then they said, no, don't count on those. You probably want to save at least 10%. Now they're saying, no, more, right? The housing market, the housing market has left people both underwater and has priced out many people from renting or owning. So then what do you do, right? Things that once felt secure no longer do. Companies that were once thinking, man, we've got this, are struggling. Pension plans are going bankrupt. Stocks soar. And then what do they do? They crash. And then sometimes they soar again. It's crazy. And in this age, when there's already more demands than there are dollars, it's never been easier to get in financial trouble really fast. 
because marketers are better than they've ever been before at dangling the shiny thing in front of us and putting it just one click away, right? They're really good at that. Scams have never been more common or sophisticated. And then social media has added all kinds of new layers to keeping up with the Joneses. And on top of all this, there are countless companies who will offer to help you dig your own financial grave faster and deeper. There's all kinds of companies that will help you with that. So this is why I want to encourage you to, to begin with this. I want to encourage you to take out your notes and write this down. When it comes to money, we can't afford to be foolish. We can't afford to be foolish in a day like this. I want to encourage you to, to write that down, and I want to encourage you to write quickly because I want to build on this thought. And here we go. Let's build on it right now. Our approach to wealth has profound implications, the way we approach it. It has profound implications for us and for others. You know, if you hang around religious people, not just those who identify as Christians, but religious people in general, if you hang around religious people long enough, you're going to come across some that, think, that will say money is evil. They said our religion teaches that money is evil. Christianity does not teach that money is evil. It teaches it's got profound impact and implications for us and for others, but it doesn't teach it that it's evil. It's more like this. It's like a brick. Money is a thing. You can use a brick for good things, build a house, build a hospital, build an orphanage, and you can use it to hurt people or harm people. Or you can just be outright foolish with it. Kids, how many of you guys have heard that story of the three little pigs? What did the, what did the wise person build their house with? Bricks, exactly. So you can be wise like the wise pig. I never wanted to, I guess, be a wise pig when I grew up or anything, but you can be wise like him. Or you can be foolish. You could use this thing. You could drop it on your toe just to see what would happen, right? You could try to swim across Lake Johanna with two bricks in each hand. You, know, you could do foolish things. You can do wise things. Money is just in it. And when it comes to the Bible, it has so much to say about money. <clears throat> more than we could ever do in a year of series. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus down. We're going to focus on something very specific that the Bible teaches, and that is the contrast between what the Bible says is wise when it comes to money and what the Bible says is foolish when it comes to money. And going into this series, I knew that was in there. That's why we had this series. I was surprised to see how many times the Bible makes this contrast specifically with money, between wisdom and foolishness. So we're going to be pressing into this section of what the Bible says over the next couple weeks together. Now, unfortunately, the pull in our culture is towards financial foolishness. If you just kind of go through and do what everyone else is doing, the gravitational pull will be towards financial foolishness. In fact, how many of you heard this um, old English proverb before? It's put up on the screens. A fool and his or her money are soon parted. Isn't this true? I was surprised to see that they can date this thing back to at least the 15th century. So this has been true for a long time, and it's more true today than it's ever been. When we're foolish with our money, it is parted from us. And when it's parted from us, there's all kinds of good things that we can't do. We can't meet our most basic needs on our own. We can't respond to emergencies. And we can't give to great causes. Do you guys know, if you give the right chicken, and I'm not exaggerating on this, you give the right chicken to the right person, you can change their family's destiny. You can break a cycle of poverty with something that simple. We can't do those things if we're foolish with the money that we're entrusted with. I saw an older stat on this, just talking about the stress of money. 
just the stress. I saw an older staff that said arguments about money play a prominent role in 90% of divorce cases. Wow. I saw a newer stat that said right now there's 600,000 American households that have $200,000 just in student loan debt. No wonder people are stressed out. This is an important topic. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two books of the Bible in this series. The first two weeks, we're going to be focusing primarily on Proverbs. And then the last two weeks, we're going to focus primarily on the book of Luke. I'm really excited for this. Let's talk just a little bit about Proverbs here first. Proverbs is one of the first books of the Bible I read all the way through, and it's still one of my favorites. There is so much practical wisdom in Proverbs. It's filled with tons of it. It's also a book that is problematic if you want to make the case that money is evil. Because Proverbs has so much to teach about practical wisdom, how to be successful, how to manage finances well. And Proverbs has a lot to say as it does those things about foolish behavior. Oh, try that sometime. Go on a a tool like Bible Gateway, type in Proverbs, do a search for Proverbs and fool. And you'll see that word show up so much there. Here's one example, foolishness and money in the same proverb. Proverbs 21, 20 says this. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise person's dwelling, but a foolish person devours it. And I chose this one because this one really speaks to that proverb we looked at earlier, that saying, that English saying, let's put that back on the screen, where it says that of money, a fool and their money are soon parted. You know, if you're foolish, it's, you just devour all you have. It's gone, right? But there's another layer that I saw as I was thinking about this more that the Bible also speaks to. Proverbs does a great job of speaking to the whole idea that if you're foolish with money, you'll soon be parted with it. Another thing the Bible speaks to is this whole piece of this idea of that life is short. And at the end of it, you're parted from your money and you're parted from your stuff. The Bible speaks to that too. A number of religions speak to that and there's some ancient religions at least that thought you can take it with you. You can find these old tombs where when the person of influence would die, they would put a lot of their stuff in the tomb, right? You've heard of some of those things where they they put the jewels and the treasures and all that stuff so in the afterlife we can take it with us. Well, You open up those tombs, and if they haven't been robbed, the stuff is still there, right? You can't take it with you. So the Bible, Christianity, teaches about an afterlife, but it's different there than than what these other religions a lot of times talk about. All right, a fool's money are soon parted. So one of the things that the Scripture does a great job then of is getting to this other layer, this other layer. And we want to press into this. It's so important because life goes so fast. And as it's going so fast, we can lose perspective, especially in a culture like ours, of what the real purpose behind money is and the relationship that we should have with it. Here's a couple more quotes that sum this up pretty well. Um, Let's put them both on screen at the same time. One of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you can become quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness that money can give. And this other one, I was happier when I was doing a mechanics job. That wouldn't be so interesting except for the fact of, who's that quote from? Henry Ford. Henry Ford. You don't have to look far to find examples of people who were wise when it came to growing their bank accounts, but they were still foolish when it came to money. And we don't want to get to the end of our lives and recognize only then 
that we were foolish, right? We were sitting on the couch um, not too long ago. Laura and I were, and she looks, looks down at me and she says, Babe, I love your highlights. Love your highlights. What was she talking about? Gray hairs, right? Life goes so fast and you don't want to get to the end of it and then recognize then that you've been a fool when it comes to wealth. And the Bible speaks to this. Here, let me show you an example. Luke 12, verse 20. But God says to him, you fool, you fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And those things that you've prepared, who will they be? There will come a point where we'll be parted from our money as we cross into that next life. All right. Well, I'd encourage you to then put, go back to our notes and let's write this down. Why does our approach to wealth matter? Because it has profound implications for us and for others in this life and what? And in the, in the next. And in two weeks, Jason's going to take us deeper into this fascinating account where Jesus tells a story that involves wealth and the afterlife. And think about what a gift that is, that we can find things like that in the Bible, where we have these carefully vetted first century documents that contain stories from Jesus himself. And we don't have to wait until we get into the afterlife to hear you were either wise or a fool. We can know right now what does it look like to be rich towards God. In this new series, I'm so excited for this, that we're going to explore the timeless wisdom found in the book of Proverbs and also in the words of Jesus. You're going to find that those two things really complement each other so well. Proverbs focuses so much on how do we do this life really well when it comes to stewarding money. And then the words of Jesus give us that bigger perspective. We spent the last series digging into the book of Luke. So we've looked at that. We've looked at how Luke opens. What I'd like to do as we launch here today is to make sure that we do the same with Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. And let's get a, a feel for this book, and then we'll be digging into it the whole time next, uh, next, next week. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Let's look at how this book opens and, and basically what it says it's going to be doing. I also want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. Woohoo! I don't have to, I don't have to pay today for cookies. I don't have to pay today for a Bible. All right, so um, we encourage you to take one home. They're right there on that table in the back. Here we go, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I love verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, one of the things, again, that I knew going in is that the Proverbs had a lot to say about money. The thing that I had forgotten or had never really looked at before is just how much. What I did, um, just to give you a sampling, is on today's, we put a, we get a yellow insert in there, too, as well. Not only this, you get coffee, cookies, Bible, two-for-one inserts. This is just awesome today. Um, what I did is I, I went through Proverbs. I, I, I reread Proverbs, and I, I started to highlight 
each of the time that Proverbs either talks directly or indirectly about money, this is like a fifth or less of those references. Does Proverbs have a lot to say about finances? Yeah, it really does. And I encourage you to, to read through Proverbs this week in, in advance of, of next week. There's so much great practical wisdom there. So Proverbs has a lot to say about money. The other, the other book we're going to look at really does too, Book of Luke. For the book of Luke, as I was preparing for today, I went and I started at Luke chapter 9, 51. It says this, because it's kind of a hinge spot in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So this is a significant part in, in, in the book of Luke because Jesus is now turning his attention towards Jerusalem and he's heading on that journey that's going to ultimately take him to his arrest and his crucifixion. And just in that time, between that verse and Jesus' arrest, if you look on the other side of the yellow sheet, here are some of the things that Jesus teaches in just that section of his life that's either directly or indirectly related to money. Was this a big deal to Jesus? It was a big deal to Jesus. He had a lot to say about money. I want to make sure, too, if you're listening online, just shoot me an email, and I'll, uh, I'll get that document to you. And I'd encourage you um, to be reading through these examples, too, in, in preparation for um, when we look in, at Luke the last couple weeks. And I want to say on the front end, some of these teachings are going to be really challenging, really challenging. As we press into them, then, it's important to remember this. I want to, I want to encourage everyone to, uh, to, to write this down if you've got a, a pen or a pencil. <clears throat> Scripture's challenging words come from a wise and a loving God. And the reason why I want to really stress that is because that frames everything. It frames everything. So many people feel so much guilt and shame when it comes to money. There's a God who says these things that he says, knowing us and loving us. And let me show you exactly where that comes from. In chapter 18 of Luke, there's this true story of this wealthy and influential young man. He believed, I'm doing a great job of keeping the commandments. In fact, he was kind of, you could kind of almost feel the pride as he was coming to Jesus to say, all right, what must I do to, you know, to inherit eternal life? Because I think I got this. And this account was so significant, three first century sources listed. All three are in our Bible. Matthew references this, Mark references this, and Luke references this. And look what it says in Mark. This is so important. As Jesus is about to say a hard word to this person, a really hard word to this person, look at Jesus' perspective. It says, this is Mark chapter 10, verses 21 through 22. And Jesus, looking at him, what does it say? Loved him. Before the hard word comes out, we get this insight into who Jesus is. He looks at us and he loves us. And then to this specific individual, he brings this hard word. He says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus had a hard word for this young man. But again, where did it come from? It came from knowing him and loving him. And I guarantee this. 
I guarantee that if you look into the book of Proverbs and you look at the words of Jesus and you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you, you're going to hear something hard because it's so easy to go off when it comes to money. You're going to hear something hard. That's why on the front end of this series, hear the good news. He looks at you and he loves you. He already knows all these things. There's no secrets. And he loves you. Any hard word that comes from God comes from that part. In the case of this young man, he thought he had possessions. Who possessed who? Those things possessed him, right? He could have been set free. He could have had his eyes open to a whole new world if he had put his trust in Jesus. Because that came from this place of loving and knowing. So the last thing I want to encourage you to write here down today is this. Imagine how we'd shine if we all kept growing in our understanding of what does it mean to live well and to give well. Because that's God's goal for this. To help us live well and give well. To be able to enjoy the blessings he sends our way. And not to feel guilty about them. But to know, what does generosity look like? How do I honor you? All of those things. And imagine that. Imagine if we could experience more peace and joy. Think of all those songs we sing at Christmas time. How many of them have peace and joy. That's what he came to bring, right? Not guilt and shame. He came to set us free from that. So let's trust him and imagine what would happen if we did. Imagine if this entire church family could be the kind of people that employers look at, good employers look at and say, man, I want them working for us because we're doing what Proverbs says about having integrity and working hard. And we're the kind of folks that Jesus can just smile about because we're really trusting him with our lives. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? So let's pray to that end and then let's seal this with a, with a, with a great song. And, and even right before we go to prayer, I don't want to forget to say this. We're going to do the best we can to help here along the way too. That Financial Peace University, that's a great course. Laura and I, we've looked at all the, back when they were on CD, DVDs, we looked at them all DVDs before. We're signed up for the class because we really believe in this. It's going to be fantastic. And I also want to say this too, so I don't forget. When it comes to how we're going to treat the scriptures, we're going to do our absolute best to make sure that we're not taking things out of context, that we're not using manipulative, anything like that. The other thing we're not going to do though is we're not going to hold back. Let's look at what the scripture really says. And let's, let's have that, that courage. And we'll try to do the absolute best we can to make sure we do it in a culture of grace and encouragement and supporting one another, cheering each other on. Can we agree to all those things? All right, now let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you framed all of this for us. That you have revealed yourself for who you are. You are a good father who loves to give good gifts. Thank you for revealing so much through your son who set an example and provides these great teachings. Thank you for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. So, Father, we we pray that you give us then courage and openness to really reflect on the things that you say about wisdom and foolishness. So this could be a year where we have less financial stress. Instead, we experience more peace and more joy as we ground ourselves in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.